You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, February the 21st, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at readings for this following Sunday. And guess what? It's a transfiguration of our Lord. So we're ending the Epiphany season, and following this Sunday, we'll be going into Lent. Many churches have worship services on Wednesday night. I'll be talking to four congregations during that week. The Old Testament reading for Transfiguration Sunday, though, is Deuteronomy chapter 34. The epistle reading is Hebrews chapter 3, and the Holy Gospel, of course, is Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. And that's the transfiguration of our Lord. So without further ado, let's move into it. Verse 28. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. This is not unusual. Jesus, a number of times, would want to pray to the Father, and at times he would be alone. Remember, after the feeding of the 5,000, he went to pray alone. And then when the disciples were in a boat that was sinking in the storm, Jesus came walking on the water towards them after praying. So there was always conversation between God the Father and the Son. Jesus, of course, being divine, would at times hear things from the Father. In fact, we heard them also at his baptism. There was an important saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's because at his baptism, Jesus took on our sin. How do you do that? Well, John the baptizer said, boy, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness because the baptism was where Jesus was doing a baptism of repentance not for his own sin, but taking upon the sins of the whole world. So at any rate, it's not unusual that Jesus is going to be praying to the Father. And he does begin to pray. In verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, this is called the transfiguration, where Jesus was brilliant. In fact, it's not unusual that Jesus' face was altered. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, uh, the two disciples were talking with him for a long time and did not realize it was Jesus until they sat down and he had dinner with them. Well, how is that possible? Well, his face was altered. Even after the resurrection, 
Well, who was it that she saw Jesus but did not recognize him, thought he was a gardener, wondering where they had placed the body? And then he said, I am Jesus. So the appearance of his face was altered, and the clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, namely Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, what were they talking about? What departure? It was really a word used, exodus. That's the word used for departure. And that he was going to be going to the cross, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. Well, how would Moses and Elijah be talking about that? Well, Moses even had written about it in Genesis 3.15, when God was talking to Satan, the serpent, and said that through Eve, the seed would come that would be a wonderful blessing to all the people of the earth, a Savior. In fact, that Savior, she thought, came in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when she gave birth to Cana. But he was the first murderer. He was not indeed the Messiah. So what we have here is Moses knowing this, and Elijah also realized that there would be a resurrection of the dead. In fact, was it not Elijah who ended up raising that little boy who had died? He had been running away from Ahab and Jezebel, was staying at her house, and she was a Gentile. In fact, Jesus mentions that later on when he's in Nazareth. In Nazareth, the people want him to do miracles like he had done in Capernaum, but he did not. And then he said, well, there were two miracles done, you know, in the Old Testament, for sure. The ones he mentioned was this raising of the Gentile woman's son, and the other one was the healing of a Gentile leper that had come to Elisha. So the people in Nazareth were not happy with Jesus, tried to throw him off a cliff, but he walked through them and went away. Moses and Elijah stand for more than just two people from the Old Testament. We have Moses, who is basically a preacher of the law, because he brought the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai. Elijah was a prophet, and he was speaking about what God's will was for his people. And therefore, there was a big distinction, even then, between believers and unbelievers. Solomon talks a lot about that in the book of Proverbs, the difference between believers and unbelievers. And the difference isn't works, because even unbelievers can do good works. But they are not considered spiritual good works, because they need to have the motivation out of trust 
in God and his promises. And unbelievers don't have that motivation. So when they do a good work, it's not really a good work from God's point of view. It may look like a good work, but it's not a salvific good work. In fact, when you take a look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, there the sheep are not criticized by God, as are the goats, but they are mentioned about doing many, many fruit of the Holy Spirit because they are believers. And in contrast to that, the goats, the unbelievers, do not do fruit of the Holy Spirit because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They rejected the faith. So Moses and Elijah, it says very clearly in Luke chapter 9 that they are talking about Jesus Exodus, and that would be his departure out of the world back into the right-hand side of God after his crucifixion. So, verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, this is really kind of important. They saw the two men, but they were not introduced. In other words, Elijah didn't say, I'm Elijah. Moses didn't say, I'm Moses. They knew them. In fact, I talked about this in yesterday's sermon about heaven. What kind of body are we going to have in heaven? And Paul gives a description that our body is going to be quite different from what it is here on earth. Because here on earth, it's subject to illnesses, weaknesses, sadness, sufferings. None of that will happen in heaven. But the question I asked, I'm talking to a congregation that is looking at me, and of course, I'm older than 21 years old. And I said, what's it going to look like in heaven? Will you recognize me? What will I appear to be like? Because will I be 21 in heaven, or will I be what I am right now, which is older? Because I look differently, as older people do. There is no answer to that question. So there's many, many questions we have about heaven that are unanswerable. Why? Because God doesn't give any information about such questions. But we will be satisfied when we get to heaven. I'm quite sure we will be able to recognize each other, and this transfiguration shows that because Peter sees these two men, and they see them, and what does Peter say? He says to Jesus, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Pastor, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, 
one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Luke has a little comment right after what Peter says. And what's the comment? Not knowing what he said. So what does that mean? Well, these tents were to be worship areas. There's no reason that one would worship Moses and Elijah because they are speaking for God. They are not divine. They may be in glory. Now, it's interesting that we know that Elijah went to heaven in a fiery chariot. There's no record of his death. There is a record of the death of Moses. So people begin to discuss, how did Moses appear on the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, we need to realize that even when Moses died, his spirit was taken to heaven immediately. His body, maybe it was raised from the dead, but there's no evidence in the scripture that it was. But as we know, angels who are spirits were seen by individuals, by Abraham, by Zechariah, by Mary. They, those last two saw Gabriel, and he appeared as a body, a human, when he is not. So, however Moses appeared, it was in glory. And Peter was so overcome. I like to talk about Peter as hoof-in-the-mouth disease Peter because he would say things without really realizing what he had to say. Remember, at the Last Supper, Jesus was talking about being betrayed. And Peter said, there's no way I will ever betray you. I would rather die. Jesus said to him, you will be soon betraying me before a rooster crows three times. And that happened when Jesus was on trial. And when Peter did deny Jesus three times, when asked, do you know this man? Uh, you're a Galilean, you speak like one. He kept denying and even swearing he didn't know Jesus. And when he did it and heard the rooster crow the third time, he realized what a sin he had done and broke down weeping. Peter is a good example of someone who was truly repentant over what he had done. Unlike Judas, who decided to commit suicide rather than repent of his betrayal. And Jesus said, it would have been better had that man never been born. He never said that about Peter. And in fact, Peter was forgiven and given the assignment of being an apostle to preach the good news to many nations with the rest of the apostles. And that was an act of forgiveness. But right now, he's really excited. Not knowing what he is saying, 
he wants to make three worship tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He even mentions their names, uh, a good sign to show that he realized who they were. But as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, cloud language is really important. In the Old Testament, at the dedication of the temple or a sanctuary, God would appear in the form of a cloud. And remember how he led the people through the wilderness after they crossed the Red Sea? At night, it was a cloud called a pillar of fire. And during the daytime, it was a cloud. Now, is God a cloud? No. But he was in with and under the cloud in in much the same way that God is not a burning bush. But at Mount Sinai, when he appeared to Moses, and this was Jesus, because he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, which refers to the second person of the Trinity, he also was in with and under the burning bush, but he was not a burning bush. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I was preaching at the university that the congregation is affiliated with, and two young men came up to me afterwards, and they asked whether or not they could commune at our communion service. And I asked them whether or not they were Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. They were not. One was Presbyterian, one was non-denominational. And I explained to them that we pastors would not have them commune because of a Bible verse that indicates that when people commune and do not know what is really going on, this can lead to sickness and even death. So out of our love for them, we practice close or close communion. And I said, I'm more than willing to sit down with you and go through an adult instruction class. In fact, so far at one congregation, we've had five members join the church. Their parents had gone through the adult instruction and we baptized their children. So this would be two more if they agreed. And beginning next Sunday, we're going to be having adult instruction for them and begin to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. In adult instruction, we go through the chief parts of Luther's catechism, small, the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, baptism, and the Lord's supper. And I said to them, if when we are finished, you come to a conclusion that what the Lutheran Church is preaching is a correct summary of the Bible, then you can become confirmed and receive the Lord's Supper. Well, they agreed to do that. So beginning next Sunday, we're starting another adult instruction class for them.
And this is the way in which the church grows. We preach the word of God, people hear it, and they get excited. And they want to know, can we commune? And we do so on the basis of scripture. Well, getting back to the transfiguration, Jesus is hearing Peter talk about the three tents. The cloud comes, overshadows them, and the disciples are afraid as they enter the cloud. But then they hear a voice coming out of the cloud. This is my son, my chosen one. Now, up to this point, this is very close to what God the Father had said at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He calls him the chosen one, and that occurred in Daniel where God the Father was sitting on the throne and sent his son Jesus to redeem the world. But then he says something else. Listen to him. That's not in the saying that we heard at the baptism. But what does that mean? Well, remember, Peter wanted to make worship areas for also Elijah and Moses. It's not that we're not to listen to Elijah and Moses, but we need to realize that when they speak, they're speaking God's word. And we're really hearing from God. So we're listening to God. That's what happens when a preacher does a proper sermon where he divides law and gospel and gives the meaning and the intent of a text. He just doesn't say what the text says, but he explains why would God want to have this text in the Bible? And you find the insight that is so important. You see, there were scribes at the time of Jesus who had the Old Testament books and what was in them memorized, but they crucified Jesus because they hadn't understood the insights of what was written. So this is really important when God the Father says, this is my son, listen to him. Well, how can we listen to him? He's no longer with us. But the fact of the matter is, anytime the Bible is brought up in a worship service, in the liturgy, in the hymns, in the prayers, in the sacraments of baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and we have faith, we are listening to Jesus. And when the voice had spoken, remember the other two were already leaving, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told to no one in those days anything of what they had seen. We call this a messianic secret. And the reason that Jesus encouraged them not to tell anyone is because he wanted to make sure that he would not die earlier than the Father had decided for him to go to the cross. And so nothing was spoken of this 
until after his resurrection. Remember, it says, all things were brought back to their remembrance, but this time with meaning. That's what the whole walk on the road to Emmaus was about. Jesus was explaining the meaning of Old Testament Bible verses that spoke of his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven, because they had not understood them in that way. So that's the transfiguration, and we're looking forward to preaching about it this coming week during Transfiguration in preparation for Lent. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at the hymn, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. And that's talking about the Transfiguration. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.